Hi, this is Donna Valentino. Welcome to Kick It With Donna. Are you ready to get real? Let's talk. Hi, this is Donna. Thanks for joining me again this week. It is uh, about 21 degrees today in Dallas, Texas. And if you know anything about Texas, that is freaking cold. We don't like this weather here. We want it to go away. We're happy we don't have any snow, at least not where I'm at. But uh, anyway, getting past the weather, I have a special guest with me today. His name is Paul Finney. And Paul's been done at least two other podcasts with me, and uh, we've covered a couple of different topics. And the name of this topic today is I wasn't prepared for this. And basically what we're going to talk about, we've, we each have a separate story to tell. And I'm going to tell mine first, and then Paul's going to tell his. They're two completely different topics, but clearly they fall under the I wasn't prepared for this. So what happens, what do you do when a life event happens that you weren't prepared for? Okay, so for me, um, in particular, on February 7th of 2009, I had an ATV accident. I was with a, a friend, and I remember only the five minutes of that accident. But the general manager of the place we were staying at, uh, he hung a unmarked chain over a cattle guard, and I didn't see it. So I went into the chain. It flipped up the vehicle, flipped me off, and then the vehicle landed on the left side of my head and, and actually on my whole body at that point. But it left me with a TBI. It's been a long recovery road, 49 days in the ICU, three weeks of Baylor rehab, and six months at Center for Neuroskills. So yes, it's been a long recovery road. Uh, was I prepared for that accident? No freaking way. So I can tell you that for the first 49 days, I spent two or three weeks in an induced coma to let the brain swelling go down. And my husband, who's now an ex-husband, but was my husband at the time, was my next of kin. So he was the one making the medical decisions for me. But during that time that I was in a coma and clearly uh, not able to take care of myself, he hired an attorney who was located in Corpus Christi. And this attorney took on the case uh, based on contingency. So what that means is that if he wins the case, he gets 40%. So I'm going to try and make a very long story very short, but once I was out of Center for Neuroskills, I had uh, divorce proceedings to deal with, and that had not, absolutely nothing to do with an accident, but that was prior to the accident. And then I had to deal with working with my attorney, who was a really, really great guy, very smart. It was um, an experience for me. This was a new one, okay? So other than a divorce attorney, you know, you each get your own attorney, you went to mediation, blah, 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 and that all works out great. When you're dealing with a case of negligence, it's uh, a whole different ballgame. So my attorney wanted me to be vulnerable and play the vulnerable part. Anybody who knows me well knows me that that's not, oh, that's just not who I am. Vulnerability, yeah, I, I guess we all are at some point in time. It's definitely not something I wanted to be, but had no choice. And the way my attorney kind of framed this for me, he told me I needed to look like I was a school teacher. And this is no offense to school teachers, okay? I'm telling you that um, 
the way I dressed for mediation, he said to me, he said, you cannot look like that. He said, you need to, you need to dumb it down quite a bit. So I went shopping at, God, what was it? JC Penney. Nothing against JC Penney. I'm just saying that for $118, I bought like four blouses, two pairs of pants and a sweater. And I wore no jewelry and I needed to look like I was vulnerable. And he sat me down one day and he said, he basically picked on the two things that really bothered me the most. And one of them was the fact that because of my injuries, I could no longer play tennis. And tennis was a game I played for about 25 years. In fact, the team I was on with a bunch of women that I'd known for probably 20 years, we've all played together. So it wasn't just the tennis, it was the whole experience of playing tennis with my friends, being with my friends. It was the whole camaraderie and just the friendship that comes along with playing and, and all the, the, you know, the crap too, obviously. But uh, it was fun. We had a really good time. So I had to accept the fact that I longer play tennis. And then the other thing that was uh, an issue for me was that at that point in time, I had had one, one surgery or possibly two on my left eye. To this day, I've had seven, but I'm going back almost nine years. So I'm going to say I probably had two. I, the left eye was basically the, um, the bones around the eye were crushed. So they had to reset the eye. And P.S., it took seven surgeries to really make it perfect. But I was only two in. So he kind of brought out the point that, you know, your left eye is deformed. Well, okay, so from going from no longer being able to play tennis and what did you do with your tennis rackets and, and you know, how do you feel about your left eye? I just burst into tears. That's it. You got me, okay? You, you wanted me that way. This is the way you, you wanted me. Perfect. So when I got up on the stand, I um, had to describe to the jury my injuries and what it meant to no longer be able to do the things that I could do and, and maybe not be able to do in the future. My one big concern was, well, what if my kids have kids? I won't even be able to hold the baby. I've come a long way in almost nine years, so a lot has strengthened and a lot has gotten better, but I was only two years in to this process, and it took a lot of trust in my attorney to be able to get through this whole thing. And this accident happened in 2009, we went to trial in 2012, so that was almost three years later. The accident happened in February of 09, and we went to trial in May of 2012. And then after we won the case, they appealed, the other side appealed. So all in all, at the end of that road from February 7 of 09, it took almost five years to complete this case of negligence. It was, a, it was a long journey. I was not prepared for this. Yes, my attorney, he made his 40% on the contingency, and I never begrudged that man a dime because he knew what he was doing, and, and I, I trusted him. So for me, trust is important in your attorney. I was very happy with my husband's decision to hire this one. He was great, and I would use him again. Hopefully I... <laughs> As much as I like Brantley White, I hope I never have to see him again <laughs> because getting an attorney, a good attorney, 
for a case where you've been wronged is critical. And I can't stress that enough. I think a lot of people, they get into some kind of trouble or they have to get an attorney and they'll go, oh, I'm going to get this guy. You know, he's advertised all the time. Maybe he's the greatest guy in the world. I'm just saying do your research because getting the right attorney for your case is absolutely critical for you to be able to move on. And what have I learned from this whole thing? Wow. I learned so much from this. My friends and family were there for me. Um, I did not have to put a dime, okay, because it was on a contingency basis. But I had to have the patience of a saint. And I can remember my attorney telling me once it was appealed that it went to the appellate judges and he was getting a little antsy. And he called me and he, he said, you know, they made an offer. I'm not going to throw numbers at you because it doesn't really matter. He threw a number at me. And I still had about $650,000 in unpaid bills to Blue Cross Blue Shield. And the air flight that took me to Harris Methodist Hospital was about 17000 And they cut that back to about $5,000. And I received a bill every month for five grand from this in-flight, uh, care flight uh, carrier. So I still had some bills that had to be paid. So when he threw the first number at me, I said, tell them to piss off were my exact words. And about three weeks later, he called me back and he said, you know, they threw out another number. And I said, piss off. And then a couple weeks after that, he said, I'm, I'm getting a little anxious because I don't know how the appellate judges will rule. They could decide that um, the verdict was incorrect and they could send you back to court. I said, between you, me, and the lamppost, I am not doing that again. I said, $3 million and uptake it. He called me back maybe two hours later, and I could hear the sound in his voice. He was excited, and I said, what happened? And he said, 3.5, and I literally was in a restaurant eating a salad, and I put my head down on the table, and I absolutely bawled my eyes out because it was finally done. I could close the chapter to this book and move on and put the book on the shelf and call it a day. And I can't explain to you what that feels like to be able to close a book and know it's done. I don't have to revisit that anymore. So I'm going to move on to Paul because Paul has a different story to tell, also very interesting, and he certainly wasn't prepared for this. Thanks, Donna. I remember it was April of 2006. I was at a restaurant with some coworkers. We were celebrating a birthday. And back then, we celebrated by usually getting a half sheet of cake from Costco and bringing it to a restaurant, singing happy birthday, and bringing the cake back to work and eating it the rest of the day. And that at that time, that was my my life. I was in a nice corporate job in my mid-30s. And one afternoon, I was driving back to the office with half a sheet of cake in the back seat of my car. And a minivan was um, brake checking me. Now, what the person in front of me, the minivan was stepping on his brakes, and I had to brake hard to not hit him. And I didn't know what was going on. I'm trying to merge onto the highway. So I decided I'm going to get around this guy. So I s hit the gas, speed around him, and he starts pursuing me on the ramp. And 
none of this made sense to me. I didn't understand what was happening. So I try to get away from this guy, pull onto the highway, merge over to the left-hand lane. And when I look forward to continue down the highway, there was a, a warning truck, part of a street sweeping crew that was parked in the left lane. And it was too late for me to stop. I hit my brakes, but I ended up hitting the back of the truck with the front of my car. I moved on to the shoulder, and standing on the shoulder was the driver. And I hit him, and I killed him. And that was April of 2006, and that was an accident. However, what I wasn't prepared for was everything that happens after that. Um, I, re I mean, there's so many things that are flooding into my mind right what now. What were your feelings at that point when you hit him? Well, numbness. Okay. Uh, disbelief. Um, but also, at the time, and still today, I was spiritually grounded. So while I was very numb, I felt like there was a purpose for this. And that I was going to be okay. Um, I was on the scene for a couple more hours while the accident detective asked me questions, asked everyone else questions, and then um, said I could go home. And I remember calling my boss that afternoon and telling him I'm not coming back to work that day. And he asked why, and I had to tell him that I just had a car accident. And... When so the t today's topic is I wasn't prepared for this. I had no idea what the next steps were. But my I'm sure boss, you didn't. my boss said, "Well, Paul, it sounds like you're going to need an attorney." And he had a, my 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 boss at the time, still involved in a lot of real estate, had a civil attorney that he worked with. He said, "I'll tell you what, I'm going to talk to my attorney and find out who you need to talk to." So <clears throat> today's topic ties into. I wasn't prepared for finding an attorney. I didn't know how to go about doing that. But fortunately, I had a support network where my boss could lead me in the direction that I needed to go. I got a criminal attorney. And the next day, I was in a criminal attorney's office. And he, before we started talking, promptly asked for a $12,000 retainer payable in cash. I didn't have that kind of cash. So that uh, leads me to being prepared for things like life events. How, how do you prepare for that? I don't know. Um, I think my intention today in today's um, podcast would be to let individuals know who are listening that there are going to be life events that occur that we're completely unprepared for, whether it's a, a car accident or um, any other type of traumatic event that we're going to need help getting through. Mm. And how, how do we do that? So was your case, was it civil or was it criminal? Well, the car accident resulted in a criminal charge against me, felony manslaughter. Okay. That's a state charge and it occurred in Dallas County and that if found guilty carries a 10-year prison sentence in state prison. 
So how did you feel, I mean, when you met with your attorney that day, did he go over all this with you in depth, or was this over a long period no, of time? he went over all of this right up front on mm -hmm. day one, and then returned the numbness in complete shock. This was an accident that didn't make any sense to me, and the idea of going to jail or prison for an accident wasn't wasn't really an option that I would consider. Mm. Um, so how did he? Did, so you obviously went to trial. No, you didn't. No. Okay. So let's talk about time because it took three years for your accident to go to trial and mm -hmm. five years for it to be completed. It took four years from the date of my accident for the case, the criminal case, to be dismissed. And the only way it was dismissed is because I settled a civil case with the family against me. And that took four years. Do you say this happened, this actually happened on your birthday? No, I was celebrating a coworker's birthday. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So it took four years from start to finish, but I, the, from the look on your face, I'm saying the jumble of emotions that you experienced in that four years doesn't sound like this was a good time. No, so let's talk about time as well, because when a life event happens that we're not prepared for, it's really never really resolved, Anna. I mean, if you Google my name right now, you can pop up my criminal charge. While the charge was dismissed, it still shows up as public record. Mm. So some things, some life events are never really complete. This is still hanging out there. I have the paperwork to file to have the, the charge expunged, but I don't even know if that's possible anymore, anymore. Like to make it go away, it could be expunged, but now that with the internet, so much information can just be lingering out there. Well, like everyone has access to pretty much anything that's public record anyway. I mean, just good old Google to yeah. take you anywhere. So I don't think anything ever is really complete. I mean, I think the same for, for your accident. I mean, some uh, things have come to closure, but it's still part of your story and your journey. You know what? It's actually, I'll tell you what, and you might agree with me on this one. That accident is part of my identity. It's probably the best thing that ever happened to me as crazy as that might sound to anybody listening. When something horrific happens, you have to go through the acceptance process, you have to go through the grieving process, which took me five years to grieve the loss of playing tennis, five. That's a long time, but that was how much time I needed to be able to grieve that loss. So you go through the, the, the grieving, the accepting, um, and, and in some things, I haven't been really all that accepting. I, I get, um, and this is, this is a whole other topic for another podcast for a different day, but just the pissed off that I get because my left hand can't do what it used to be able to do. And even though the, the, I always have the, like, the right side of the brain and the left side of the brain, like the angel and the devil, <laughs> the angel goes, oh, you know, but you still have a, a hand and an arm and you might not have either one. And the, the devil's going, ah, screw that. You know what? It can't do anything anymore. It's worthless. So it's always that constant inner battle that I have that goes on that I'm trying to address because 
It's, a neg it's negativity at its finest. So really this accident has become an identifiable factor for me. It's changed my identity to be Donna Valentino who had an accident and she's still here and she's trying to help others. I like that way better than Donna Valentino's still here and she's pissed off. So I don't know how you feel about, it, about your accident, if that somehow changed your identity in some way. Has it strengthened you or weakened you? It definitely has strengthened me. Right. I know I've helped people along the way by telling my story. Right. <clears throat> you said something that's very interesting. I was very angry for the four years that that case of mine went on until it was dismissed. And I didn't want to be an angry person. And today you bring up anger. And I haven't felt anger about this for many years because now we're coming up on 12 years since the accident. But I identify with what you said. I'm Paul Finney, someone who had an accident. I'm not Paul Finney who's angry about an accident or Paul Finney right. who's still grieving about it. I'm just someone who had an unfortunate accident occur in my life. So people that you've helped by telling your story, how, how do you feel that you help them? Well, one direct way is through my sobriety. I haven't had a drink or a drug in 22 years. And I know that I've, when I've shared my story, I said this isn't something that me, as a sober individual, have had to drink over or mm. drug over to get through this. Okay. That I've relied on a higher power and family and friends, a strong support network to get through it. That's actually really important what you just said really critical so you didn't you didn't use the alcohol or any kind of a drug as a crutch to get you through four years of being pissed off correct but by no means was it easy I can sit here today only because in my darkest moments I had people holding my hand and getting me through it so how did you wind up dealing with uh, $12,000 in cash that he needed that you clearly didn't have it right there in your hand the, it's funny because a 36-year-old individual with a really big ego and a corporate job, nice corporate job, didn't have $12,000 cash. A couple years earlier in 2003, I bought a house. So I was what a lot of people refer to as house poor. Okay. Everything went into my house and I had nothing left. Just paying the mortgage, paying the bills, and living the American dream. Okay. Suddenly I'm in an attorney's office who tells me that I'm looking at going to prison if I don't get out of this and I need $12,000 and I need to get it to him right away. So I called my mom crying, grown man crying to mom, I need money and she sent me $7,000 and my parents are split up. I called my dad, he was able to send me $5,000 and between my two parents I was able to come up with um, the $12,000 that I needed for a retainer and that was just the retainer, that was just the beginning. Mm. Um, to get through the whole legal expense, I had to reach out several more times to my family in, in between trying to pay them back, borrowing more money, paying them back, borrowing more money until I got through it all. Um, if I were to sidetrack on this topic, I want to say that if anyone is going through a, either a criminal or civil event, that it's it's critical to somehow find the money and get a good attorney. Right. I mean, without a doubt. 
if I I know a lot of people listening might say, well, I don't have parents or family and friends that can come up with cash like that that I can borrow. I would say you have to figure it out. I, Donna, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today if we didn't have good attorneys, either civil or criminal, no, to get us right. through what we needed to. That's so true. I think, um, how did it, did it, um, and this, this might be a crappy question to ask you, do you feel, do you feel any guilt that, 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 that someone was killed? No. What I feel is frustration and, and not anger, but frustration because, Donna, what happened was no one, I took accountability for my part of the accident. I believe that. But no one else took accountability. And you know why? Because if you admit accountability, then you're financially responsible to pay. Mm. Dallas County took no responsibility for the street sweeping crew. The street sweeping crew was contracted by Dallas County to clean the streets. The street sweeping company declared bankruptcy and went out of business. So the street sweeping company had no responsibility. To get into a little bit of the detail, my criminal attorney subpoenaed the training material for the street sweeping crew, which was a joke. The training forms for the street sweeping operation were at best negligent, and the, and the signature for the employee was not legible. Lots, lots of points of failure that no one took responsibility for, but in the criminal and civil justice system, the, it's like water flowing. It takes the path of least resistance. Let's go after Paul Finney. Let's not go after Dallas County because that's too difficult. Let's not go out after the street sweeping company because they went bankrupt. That's too difficult to go after them. So they came after me. And they got a little bit of money from me. But that's... I, I was in a car accident because an individual, this is more detail, wasn't properly trained, wasn't performing street sweeping operation as he should have been, and he was also intoxicated. His blood alcohol was 0.38, according to the Dallas County Medical Examiner's wow. Office. Okay, so, because I'm thinking of a street cleaner, because generally, aren't they moving, even though they're moving slowly? Aren't they generally moving? Yes. Okay, so he was outside of the vehicle. His vehicle wasn't on the shoulder or caddy to the shoulder. His vehicle was parked in the middle of the left-hand lane on the highway at 1230 in the afternoon. Okay, so he was literally just stopped in the left lane. Yes, his vehicle stopped in the left lane and he was standing on the shoulder. Okay, so no good reason that anyone can think of why he'd be standing on just for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for that. No, you weren't prepared for that. So I'm 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 sorry that that happened, but uh, on the flip side of that, you feel that you're stronger, and you've been able to help other people by telling your story. My criminal attorney said, Paul, you probably did the public a service by taking someone who is a drunk driver off the road, because right. for his blood alcohol to point be point three eight, he was drinking and driving. Well, he was drinking and driving, and he's driving a. A sweep a street cleaning machine that's a large vehicle but all the supervisors and work crew that worked with them that were subpoenaed and deposed mm-hmm. by attorneys in deposition all said that they had no idea that he was drinking and had no knowledge of of any of um of that 
So when well, you ask me about the accident and how I feel, it's frustration because guess what? I still see street sweeping crews cleaning the highways frequently. And to think that there's no checks in place. There's, they all could be drunk. And so I feel frustration that my accident that I wasn't prepared for could happen again. And maybe over the last 12 years, it's happened to other people and we just don't know about it. And they're not prepared for it either. No, I, I think that there's, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone <laughs> can tell a story about something they were not prepared for. We all have them. It's just, I guess it's how you handle it at the end of the day. And I think, so for, for people out there that are listening, whatever it is that comes down your path that you weren't prepared for, I'm going to say a good attorney is A, number one, and you're obviously your support network. We all have one, you know, whether it's your family or your friends. If you need to get cash, if you, you, get, you get stopped by a policeman for whatever reason, and, and they put you in jail for whatever reason, and you need cash to get out. How do you get it? Who do you call? I think who do you call is probably the, the number one thing. Who do you call first? But getting a good attorney is uh, critical. And then, you know, the trust that goes into having an attorney. And, and Paul, you and I, we talked about this before we got on, before we got on the, the podcast about how an attorney's job is not to be your friend, okay? They are, their job is to get you off, whether it's civil or it's criminal, that's their job. So they're not your, um, they're not your spiritual grounding, right? They oh. are, they're, they're, that is their job is to get you off. They're not your friend. Um, and it's probably really good for people to know that because if you are trying to make friends with your attorney and, mm-hmm. you know, convince him of this or that he's not he probably doesn't give a crap it's not his job to give a crap it's his job to get you off hit defend right and your family and friends that their support job for you is to be there for you and I my family um which I didn't really have a whole lot of at the time nine years ago didn't really have it uh, my ex-husband was obviously making all my medical decisions for me. And my kids were young. I mean, they were 17 and barely 16, or maybe 18 and barely 16. There's three and a half years between them. So that's how screwed up my mind was. I can't even remember. They were just young enough to be really affected by my accident because they almost lost their mom. Because the the truth is that I shouldn't be sitting here conversing with anybody. I should not have survived, period. So when I and when I think about that, how, Donna, how do you have the right to bitch about anything? You shouldn't even be here. You shouldn't even be able to have a legitimate conversation with somebody. But I can. So why not use what I've gained, what God left me with my brain intact, to be able to help other people and not be pissed? You say that, and it reminds me that If I hadn't swerved onto the shoulder and I just had hit the back of that truck head on, I wouldn't be here today. Okay. Fair enough. My car impacted the back of that truck and all my airbags deployed, but it was a, it was offset impact. I didn't hit it head on. Had I hit that truck head on, I may not be here, Donna. We wouldn't be talking and having this podcast. You mentioned something that, that regarding 
support network, while I was reaching out to friends and family who were doing their best to help me through this, uh, some relationships got really strained um, because it's not easy. And while I, and we've talked about frustration and anger, our family members and friends who are trying to support us through these tough times are also frustrated and angry and doing the best they can. And it's one of those life events that where it's like being on a roller coaster and we're all on the roller coaster together and we're about to go down a big, big, I don't know what you call it, hill. And all we can do is hold on and white knuckle it until right. we get to the smooth part. And we're all on the roller coaster together. That's true. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when you compare a roller coaster, I mean, everyone says, oh, life is a roller coaster. That's true. When you get on a roller coaster, and I love roller coasters, you get on, you get strapped in, and you're screaming from the time that first drop hits until you're, you're back at the, you know, getting out of your seat, and you go, wow, that was really cool. You know why? You got on knowing you're going to get off. You're going to have the great ride, you get the rush, and you get off, and all's good in the world, and then you might want to do it again. But the problem with the roller coaster ride of a lifetime is that you're not prepared for what's coming down the pike. You could just be going la-di-da-da, and you get on a highway, and you hit the back of a vehicle, and, and, and someone gets killed. Did you see that coming? Of course not. Did I see an ATV landing on my head? Nope. But it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. And if we look at it like it's a roller coaster ride, we know eventually the ride will come to an end. But we That's just very true. When. That's so true. It will come to an end. And the end might not be like getting off a real roller coaster where you have that rush and there's no after effects. Okay, you get off and you're, and you're done. You might want to do it again. But there's nothing, there's no bad reminder of going on that. Unless you go on the roller coaster and you get sick or something and you go, okay, well, I pity on me, I shouldn't have done it. But you get off that roller coaster knowing that I chose to do this, I got on, I got my rush, I got off, and life goes on. But when something happens to you that you weren't prepared for, you get on the ride because you have no choice, you're in it, and you're not off that ride until it's complete, whatever the word complete means for that ride. So for me, my life has changed in a great way I've met some really amazing people because of my accident. And I'm doing what I'm doing today because of my accident. So shame on me to get pissed off about anything for any length of time. Because that's just pathetic. I'm still here and I can still give back and I can pay it forward. Why not be happy about that? Instead of looking back and going, oh, you know, have a pity party. It doesn't help anybody. No one wants to hear about your pity party. You know what people want to hear? How you survived. How'd you get through it? That's what they want to hear. So what do we leave people with here today? Got into something you weren't prepared for. What, what, what do you, what's your advice? Trust. Patience. There is a higher power. No matter... Whether you, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God or you believe there's a higher purpose or there's something out there bigger than we are, that's where trust and patience comes there too. Yeah, I said trust, patience, and you said purpose because when we were going through it, I'm pretty sure you and I couldn't see that there was a purpose to this. But now, sitting here today, years later, that we can see the purpose. 
You know, that I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because without going way back in time, I didn't even, because of my childhood and the way I was raised, God wasn't even on the spectrum for me. So even after my accident, I didn't even think about God. And it wasn't until a couple of years later when I almost got into another wreck on a highway, but was spared, that I realized that I believe in God. But it took many, many years. And because of that accident, even though it was a couple of years later. So I'm in a better place because I'm, I believe in God and I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And that makes a huge difference for me every day. So whoever it is you believe in, God's looking out for me. He was always looking out for me. So I feel that the support network is definitely a number one. Who are you going to call? Who's that first person when you pick up the phone that you're going to call? And then getting an attorney if that's where, that's where whatever happened to you, you need an attorney. Do you want to add anything else? For those that struggle with higher power or a presence of God, I, I struggled with that during the course of the accident, and I'm grinning because sometimes I have a twisted sense of humor. And sometimes all we need is a good attorney, and, uh, but it does try back, tie back to trust and patience and purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't want anyone to think, well, God, I, I'm not going to get through this without an understanding of my higher power. I said, that will come. I think a higher power is a good way to end it because uh, things that happen to you that you weren't prepared for are going to make you think of a higher power or a lot of people, you know, here's, here's the common, you know, Oh, why did this happen to me? Why me? Why not you? What happened to you? Maybe because there's a, there's a person to why it happened to you. Why did it happen to you, Paul? Yeah. What, was your, what is your purpose now? Fortunately, early on, I didn't ask why. I, because there's no value in it. it doesn't, True. It doesn't help. No, it doesn't help. At all. So just... Once you're on the roller coaster, you can't really get off. You just have to ride it. You have to ride the roller coaster. And, you know, for me, also having two children that almost lost their mom, it's another, it's an example that I set every day for my kids. I have to pick your balls up and keep running. Just keep doing it. Just keep yeah. breathing every day. There's a purpose to why it happened. Find the purpose. I like that. Find I like it too. Find the purpose. Instead of asking why, which is worthless, find the purpose. And keep going. And keep going. There is something, the grass is greener on the other side. There's a purpose for why it happened to you. And maybe just being able to come to grips with why it happened to you and finding the other side of the why. Get to the other side of the why. Because there's something greener. The grass is greener on the other side. I believe that, you know, it's a common saying for me because I think it's so true. There is a rainbow in a shitstorm. Something good comes from something bad. Do you want to add anything else, Paul? No, darling. 
I think that um, I hope that we left you with some things to think about today because I know everyone out there has had something that they weren't prepared for. And I shared my story. Paul shared his. I would love to hear yours. I do have uh, two books out there. One is called Headstrong, Surviving a Traumatic Brain Injury Without Losing My Mind. And that's, I wrote about the accident. And then the second book I wrote a couple years later is called Heartstrong, Overcome Obstacles and Live Life to the Fullest. So if you have some thoughts about what we said or there's some stories that you'd like to share, I'd love to hear them. You can also hear my podcast on my website, kickitwithdonna.com, and you can make some comments there. And I, my podcasts are also available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So I hope that you will listen to some of my other ones. I like to cover some deep topics. I don't really like to spend a lot of time on crap. <laughs> I feel like we hear enough of that every day. But um, I like to just handle the bigger ones because it makes you think. I hope this one makes you think. I hope you all have a good day and stay warm. See you next week. <laughs>